Hi, and welcome back. This is Blaine Bartlett. You're uh, listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. And uh, today I've got a, a, a treat. Uh, and I say a treat. It's a treat for me. Um, but I hope it's going to be, and I'm almost sure that it's going to be a treat for you. Uh, my guest is someone that I have known, and this is in the spirit of full disclosure. Um, I've known John since 1979. So we were just kind of reminiscing a little bit here. So 43 years, uh, I've, I've known John Childress. And I first met him uh, when I was running an operation um, uh, in the human potential movement. I was uh, uh, the area director of a group called LifeSpring at that point in time down in the San Diego area. And John was the, uh, I believe you were the CEO at that point, either president or CEO of a, a, a consultancy called Sendelaney. And Sendelaney was doing just some fascinating cutting edge work, uh, transformational work in the, in the fields of leadership and culture. And, and we've got a number of friends in common uh, that we were just kind of reminiscing with before we started the show here. Um, but I wanted to have John on the show uh, specifically to talk about in this 43 years, some of the stuff that he's experienced as he's done some unbelievable work with some of the largest organizations in the world, specifically focused on this nexus between culture and leadership. Right. So, John, welcome to the show. Uh, you're coming in, I believe, from London right now. So it's good to see you here. And welcome. Thank you, thank you, Blaine. It's been a long time since we've connected. I've, I've been following your podcasts, liking them, and I said, "Geez, I got to get on that show." So, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's been absolutely a pleasure to, to, I've been looking forward to this. So um, I want to go back in time here a little bit. And before I do that, I want to just land a question because uh, it's uh, almost an oxymoron for some folks. Um, when you hear the phrase, the soul of business, and this will lead us into a, a, a deeper dive on stuff, but when you hear the phrase, the soul of business, what does that bring up for you? Now, the first thing that comes to mind is, and it may sound trite, but it is one of the fundamental foundations of business, and that is leadership, real leadership, and not just the title, Blaine, not just the CEO title or the chairman title, but leadership is an action verb, and it means getting engaged and getting involved, and I think it was Ralph Nader who goes back probably longer than you and I, Ralph Nader said, uh, the purpose of leadership is not to create followers, but to create more leaders. Mm -hmm. And there's something in business, because if you don't have good leadership, it doesn't matter what the product is. It doesn't matter the funding. Uh, it's not going to be sustainable. And that's where the nexus of leadership and culture comes in and, you put those two together and they are the heart and soul of a business. Yeah. You know, I've, uh, we have this field of leadership. I've been uh, specifically engaged with that for about 40 years. I mean, since I left LifeSpring and actually kind of that launched my interest in it. And I've sure. come to define it as, uh, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm struck by the fact that you mentioned it as a verb, not as a noun. Um, that yeah, it's an activity of co-creating coordinated movement in a system. 
And it's that, you know, the co-creation is an ownership transfer. And then the coordinated movement is the developmental piece. Yeah, how do we get on the same page and dance to the same tune? And we know we're going to step on each other's toes, but you know, part of that coordinated movement is, yeah, how do we uh, make amends in that process so that we can keep things moving forward? <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, it goes way back even before you and I met. I was at Harvard studying ecology. And we were studying the interconnectedness of an ecosystem, if you will, mm -hmm. very, very early days. And we were building models of it. And what has struck me through my 40 some years in business and consulting is that a business is an ecosystem and everything is connected. And when you change one thing, it has a knock on effect in so many other things. And that's what leaders don't quite get. Nobody's taught them that it is an interconnected system. They think it's a pyramid mm -hmm. with them at the top and everything flows down. But it is, it is even, you know, I think we came up with the uh, early on in our consulting firm, we came up with the phrase organizations are shadows of their leaders. Yeah. And then it goes on. That's the good news. And that's the bad news. And uh, most leaders don't realize the impact and the number of connections they have and how their behavior impacts people's, the way people think, the way they see the organization, the way they think about customers. And it also impacts on performance. So to me, it's, we have to think of it as an interconnected ecosystem. And, and then if you have that picture in mind, you can then find what are the causal factors. And to me, that's where leadership should be paying attention to. What are the causal factors to make this thing work better? Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes perfect sense. You know, I, I recently gave a TED talk um, yeah, that the, the, ba the basic theme of it was nature is the ultimate business guru. And the, you know, you're talking about interconnectedness and you know, just this uh, equal uh, 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 sphere that we live in. Yeah, everything is connected. It's, it's every, there's nothing that is not touched by, in some way, shape or form, the activities of every other piece in the system. Yeah. And the fact that an organization is the shadow of, and I remember that from, from, from uh, and that's, uh, I was struck when you said that. Yeah, the, the organization's a shadow of the leader. And that ends up causing, and you talk about causal factors here, causing the culture in an organization, either by default or by intent. Right. And this gets to be interesting when we start looking at how organizations grow, I think. And also, you know, in the part of that growth, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It, it, as part of the, the, the nature of growing, it's either going to be organic or it's, it's going to be acquisitional. You know, Acquisition, we're going to take on yeah. another entity. So um, in either case, cultures are always in play. So you did some fascinating uh, work. I mean, I, Ford, I think, is a great example of that, Ford Europe. And I'm going to go back a couple of years here for that. But, you know, there was a, a significant turnaround effort that you led with, with Ford and the CEO of Ford Europe brought you in at the time. And if I remember right, you literally, it was about a $1.2 billion shift from 
when you came in in that first year, you actually, you know, yeah, $1.2 billion. That's, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're talking some pretty significant money there. Big, so, what were the levers that got identified? It's a big company, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a big company, exactly. You know, that was a really interesting project because the CEO, he was a new CEO. And believe it or not, I'd worked with him before in South Africa. That was Lewis, right? Lewis Booth? Yeah. Lewis Booth. He ran a company, a Ford company called South African Motor Company, or I think they called it Samcor at that time. And we did such a good job with him, and he's such a good leader, that when he took on this mammoth role of turning around Ford of Europe, he asked us to kind of come in and help. And the essence of that problem, they knew the, they knew the auto industry, I mean, inside and out. They knew everything, marketing, design, finance, dealers, customers, et cetera. But they weren't working together. Yeah. <laughs> they were separate silos, fiefdoms, kingdoms, arguing over budgets, not sharing information. And yet all the pieces of the puzzle were there. They just weren't connecting them. And in fact, I remember walking into their offices. By the way, that headquarters in Cologne, Germany, was the first overseas plant that Henry Ford built, and he had his own personal European office there. I did not know that. And it was like Mahogany Row. Every door was closed. Nobody interacted. Uh, it was not an open plan at all. And so it was just a matter of getting them to understand that they all had the keys to the kingdom. They just weren't sharing the information. So. Now, that seems simple as you talk about it and just getting them to see that they all have the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> My experience, uh, I think mirrors yours in many ways here with these large systems, that the culture will push back on that. And if you've got an entrenched culture, I mean, it goes back a long way with Ford. Uh, how, did you, how did you start to tweak that? And, I, and I'm talking about this in terms of, yeah, practical things that the listeners you know, to this podcast, you know, regardless of the size of their company, what do we pay attention to that are actually levers that we can cause different things to happen when we pull them or push them? Well, you know, the first thing I did is I designed a special culture assessment or a culture audit. And it wasn't for the employees. It was for the senior team and the next level. And it was, I don't know, 43 questions or something scored on a Likert scale. And when we put those two graphs together, the culture that the senior team said they had and the culture that the direct reports saw the senior team having, it was very, very different. And it was an eye-opening experience. So, so we kind of got their attention. Yeah. It's like the old story of how do you help a mule kid going? Well, you got to whack them and get their attention. And then it was the use. Yeah, I don't re recommend 
whacking your client, you, you, you'll understand. But uh, yep. the next thing, the next practical thing was we did a three-day offsite and we went away from the plant and we threw away the cell phones and we really spent time getting to know each other and listening. They, they hadn't really spent, they spent a lot of time in meetings, mm-hmm. but they weren't really listening to each other. They were thinking about their next meeting or thinking about the rebut or the why, why not, or buts, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So we spent a lot of time getting them to articulate about the business they wanted to create. And it was not a debate. It was really listening session. And that sort of slowed them down, created a be here now moment to which they were able to sort of begin to respect and understand that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. And then of course, over the years, I've created experiential exercises of uh teamwork puzzles and things that kind of keep show people that they have to work together in order to complete the task. Yeah. Yeah. And then from then, from there, we built the strategy map and it was all they're doing after that. Now, what's interesting about what you just said is that the strategy conversation happened after the relationship setting occurred. Otherwise, it would not be a conversation. (laughs) It would be the same old BS that they were throwing around for years. Yeah. And I really want to land that point hard. As far as I can tell, all an organization is, and I'll just check this out in your experience with this, because you've been all over the world as as I have too. I've worked on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, And as far as I can tell, all an organization is, is a collection of people that are in relationship, period, the end. And if the relationships are working well, you got a pretty good shot at being successful. And the yeah. tip of that iceberg is the interpersonal relationships, but there's also a relationship with vision, strategy, mission, values, culture, you know, but the relationship is not what most leaders pay attention to. Now, they kind of take that for a given and it's not a given. A resume is not a human being. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would slightly challenge your, your statement that all a business is, is a set of relationships. I'm coming to the conclusion that a lot of relationships, how people behave inside organizations, is the result of the culture and not the culture. And the culture is actually that ecosystem of policies, practices, goals and objectives, leadership behaviors, supervisor behaviors. It's this whole set of causal factors that influence how people think and behave. Mm -hmm. So doing just team building and doing just behavior training is not gonna change the causal factors. And that's, we need to go upstreams. And that's why my work has always been going upstream to look at what's going on in the business, our compensation policies, creating people's bad behavior, 
because in banks, it's certainly obvious that uh, fraud and excessive risk is a direct function of excessive compensation. Mm-hmm. That's a driver. Yep. People, people don't come into a banking job to be fraudulent, but there's some heavy influencers. And so we need to understand those causal factors. Yeah. You know, McKinsey 7S model comes to mind. Uh, and I think you're probably familiar with that. That's, that's a very simple way of s- saying it. Yeah. What, what my new company has been able to do is actually build a visual ecosystem model of the culture drivers. And then we're able to score those in a red to green kind of a f- fashion. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see which parts of your culture are enablers and which are risks. Yeah. So this is a new assessment that you've uh, developed? This is, this is a thing we've been working on for about three years. Okay. We have a software platform that can now manage that. We get qualitative and quantitative data from inside the organization. Mm-hmm. And we're also beginning to do something nobody else has been able to do, and that is link culture to business results. I know Denison has tried to do that uh, with spotty results. Uh, it's all, it's all uh, correlative. We're really looking for causation rather than correlation. Yeah. And it's going to take more data. It'll take a few more clients. We've had some really good success with a very large global, fast-moving consumer goods client. Excellent. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out more about that, selfishly speaking. No. What else? Yeah. Now, yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to just kind of move into the culture art, you know, artifacts here. Yeah. So, you know, McKinsey's got their 7S model. It's a, it's a pretty simple model. It's been around a long time. If you're looking at causation, you know, what are some of the things that you're identifying that could be considered to be relatively generic across sectors? That's a good question. It's a really good question. Okay, let's start with a simple one. Hiring profiles. What are we hiring? What profile are we bringing into the organization? Let's say we have a, an organization where safety is the number one critical thing. Manufacturing, uh, oil and gas, Etc. Are, are, are we really screening for safe behavior, safe thinkers, uh, people who care about safety, or are we screening for job skills? So hiring profiles is one of them. Onboarding is another one. Most companies do a crappy job of onboarding. And it's gotten worse because it's now been digitized you, mm-hmm. you you go on their intranet and you, you watch a few videos and now you know all about the company well that's and they don't sink in the culture there and that's yeah. a great opportunity onboarding to sink in the culture you so, know yeah that just a real quick anecdote i, I did some work well a fair a lot of work actually with starbucks um when howard Schultz had moved out and uh, uh, Jim Donaldson had come in and I was working with 
you know, some of their senior executives and Jim was, you know, had just come on board. And I'm mentioning this in terms of the onboarding. They spent, I, I think he spent almost two months before he ever got into the C-suite you know, area, <laughs> being a barista, going into the, uh, the roasting facility. I mean, it was a deep dive into who are we? And, and this was the new CEO of the company. And he was out there you know, pouring shots. Well, I hope they do it for all employees because that's they, the way you. That's the that, way they bring them on. That's yeah. the way you inculcate the culture inside of people. Um, so you can go from those simple ones. You can go to compensation formulas. What dry, That drives a lot of behavior. Mm -hmm. You go to leadership. What do they really pay attention to? If you do a diary check of their meetings, is there anything about values, culture, et cetera, or is it all profit and sales? Yeah. The conversations are, what are we doing as opposed to how are we doing? Exactly. Yeah. And um, so anyway, there's probably 14 or 15 generic causal factors that Sort of work inside every company in that ecosystem, if you will. And that's what we've been able to map. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, I want to you know, kind of unbundle that a little bit more because I want people to have access to that information to the degree that it's you know, appropriate for them to get this right now. So websites, that kind of stuff. We'll take a short break. Talking right now with my good friend, John Childress. And uh, when we come back, we're going to you know, do a little bit deeper dive into this. And I also want to explore when we come back, uh, fly fishing. Sounds like I'm ready for that. <laughs> I'm ready for that. Okay. So back in just a minute, folks. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. You're uh, with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, my guest today, John Childress. Um, and we were talking about uh, leadership. We were talking about culture. And um, what I didn't mention in, in part of my introduction uh, of John in the show here is that he's also an author. Not only is he just an extraordinary consultant in his own right and, and just a good guy, 
uh, but he's an author that has uh, seven, eight, nine, eight, nine, he's got 12 books out now. Yeah, 12 books. Uh, seven business books that um, are, are, and I've read uh, about four of them. I haven't read all of them. Um, and four thrillers uh, that he, you know, he took a sabbatical in the south of France and, and <laughs> for a couple of years and, and, I did. <laughs> and, and, and wrote uh, nonfiction or wrote fiction thrillers. And uh, something I always wanted to do. Yeah. And, and I hadn't got the time. And when I retired, uh, I had the time. So. You had the time. So why not do it? And uh, was, was yeah, I mean, the, the thrillers. Was there a theme? Was it a kind of a. Uh, oh, yeah. They're historical thrillers. Mm hmm. And they've all got a time, a two time dimension, either old time, modern time. So, for example, there's one called Almost Perfect about the Crusades in France in the 11th century. And it connects to a modern story. And the stories weave together and then they combine at the end. And so you're sort of on a time trip. That's great. I love yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's been fun. And I've, they've all got something about my own personal experience in them. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think we write about what we know best. We write about who we are or who we'd like to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 You've got a new book out that uh, when I heard the title, it, it was, it really caught my attention because uh, for personal reasons. Yeah, I'm an avid fly fisherman. I've, yeah, I've been fly fishing since the, the late 1960s, actually. Yep. Uh, my dad had a Tonkin cane, you know, rod. Um, I mean, it was, you know, kind of steeped in it. I've, I've still got a, and this is embarrassing, I think, but I've still got a swatch of polar bear fur that I got years ago, I mean, literally back in the 60s, that uh, is some of the best hackle <laughs> material I've ever found. You can't get it anymore. It's an endangered species. I probably shouldn't have it anymore, but I've had it you know, all these years. Your new book is called Fly Fishing for Leadership. Yep. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about it because the title, number one, is very intriguing to me. But number two, I think that there's a there there for the listener to understand what leadership really is about. Yeah, through the well, you know, you've addressed this. Um, like you, I've been fly fishing for a long time all over the world. I was born in Oregon, uh, right near a small stream, and we used to fish as kids. And my, my dad fished and my brothers fished, so I kind of grew up with it. Uh, which stream was that? Well, it was the Myrtle Creek. Oh, my goodness. South Myrtle. South Myrtle. I was Which born was, in Roseburg, Oregon. Well, I was born in Roseburg Hospital. <laughs> there you go. I was in the, uh, Douglas Community. <laughs> Strange world, Blaine. <laughs> I did not know this. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, as I've been studying leadership and culture, I've landed on there's a set of principles fundamental principles. And the story goes that goals change, but principles remain. And so I started to sort of think about what are the principles of leadership that are really characteristic to every single successful leader. And it suddenly started dawning on me that the principles of fly fishing 
mirror those perfectly. So what I did is I interviewed 70 executives, fly fishing guides, lodge owners, etc. And we talked about what they've learned about leadership from fly fishing. And so I took all those stories and matched them up with the principles. And so there's a leadership principle matched up with the fly fishing principle. For example, the best decisions are made when you slow down and think things through. Knee-jerk decisions are usually a disaster. That's been true in my business life. I'm sure it's been true in yours, but we tend to make the best business when we slow down and think things through. You cannot rush a cast. You have to slow down your pickup. You gotta slow down your back cast. You gotta accelerate, but not jerk. You gotta slowly accelerate and snap. So slowing down is one of the key principles that are in both. Uh, um, There's a chapter in it called Anatomy of a Leader. And a leader and a leader in fly fishing. Leader is the is the end material between the fly line and the fly. And there are three sections of a fly line leader, the butt, the midsection, and the tippet. And if you think about leadership, there are really three sections. There's your core principles. Those are strong, like the butt section is a strong set of nylon. Then there's the mid section, which is variable depending upon the context you're fishing. And it's the context of leadership needs to be variable because you can't have the same leadership style in every situation. It doesn't work, right? You're in a merger, you're in a startup, you're in a turnaround, takes different leadership style in all three of those. If you're fishing streamers or dry flies, et cetera, that's a different context. Then the tippet, you have to design the tippet for the fish you're going after and what you're doing. In leadership, you gotta treat every single individual special. And so, so there are three sections there, the butt section, the midsection, and the tippet. And so the whole book sort of goes on with those analogies. And then what's really fun is the stories that the guides have come up with and the executives who fly fish and the people in the industry come up with because they're real human stories about what they've learned. They've learned it through having cancer and how fly fishing has helped them. Um, So there's a bunch of stories. I think you'd find it a great read and you can order it either on Amazon Fly Fishing for Leadership, or you can order it through our website, which is www.flyfishingforleadership.com. That's, that's my plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I you, you had me at fly fishing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I am getting a copy of that book. I, and I love the metaphor. Um, you know, there's... Well, I think the, the way idea, we... Do- the way we learn is through analogies and metaphors and stories. You know that, I know that, everybody knows that. 
We don't learn from PowerPoints. Yeah. Yeah. We learn from stories that resonate with us, that touch our soul, the soul of business. And I think all my books have had that as a core connection to the soul of business in all my books, actually. Well, that, which is an interesting question. I'd like to kind of move us into, you know, as we start to transition out of the, uh, the, the episode here with all of the stuff that goes on in organizations, you know, things are always moving, change is the norm. You know, you know the status quo is not, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing is static. It's always in movement. And as we're growing or contracting, as we acquire, I mean, if we do all these different things that businesses do, what is your take on how best to keep connected to what we call the soul of the business, that, that unique thing that makes us unique as, a, as an organization? How do we keep connected to that soul? Get your head out of a spreadsheet and get into, the, get into understanding your employees, the customer, the community that your business operates in, the impact your products have on the environment. Uh, you cannot run a successful company from a spreadsheet because it's always rearview mirror stuff. You can't drive a speeding car with a rearview mirror. Uh, so we got to connect. And there's multiple constituencies, Blaine, as you know. There's senior team, there's your employees, there's your customers, there's the community you're engaged, your plants or your offices are in. And then there's a wider environment. And we got a sustainability problem in business yeah. right now. And in fact, there's a chapter in my book, Fly Fishing, about sustainability in the rivers and the environment and sustainability in business and how we really need to understand the principles of those two things. Yeah. I love that, John. Um, last question I want to ask you, uh, it has to do with how, you know, how are you, and this is a personal question, how are you leaving it better than you found it? You know, and you're talking about sustainability, but you know, just in terms of, you know, whatever that brings up for you, how are you leaving it better than you found it? Well, I think as I approach the shortest short runway that I've got, <laughs> I look back on it. I think we, in the early 70s, we really put corporate culture on the map. And when I started in, when we started Sendelaney in 1978, culture was not a word. In fact, I went into a, manufacturing plant and I was talking to a supervisor and talking about corporate culture and he says we don't make yogurt cultures here <laughs> <laughs> and now if you cannot pick up a business article and not see the word culture it's everywhere so people have understood how important it is to human well-being business well-being uh, mergers and acquisitions all kinds of things. So I guess that's kind of been my contribution. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I'm excited about now is this ecosystem mapping of the culture of causal factors, because I think that's another leap forward. Yeah. I, I, I firmly believe that 
the corporate culture movement has been hijacked by HR. Mm-hmm. It needs to, it needs to go back to business. Yep. Because, I absolutely agree with that. Because everything's focused now on employee engagement, which is important, but it's not everything in the culture. Yeah. In fact, you can have great engagement and still fail. Yeah. If the culture, I mean, because there's a lot of other things going on. There's a lot of moving parts. Oh. Yeah, not not to steal you know, credit for this, but culture will eat uh, strategy and just about anything else for lunch, no. breakfast, and dinner. You know, I wrote a book called The CEO's Guide to Corporate Culture, and I started it with, I don't believe that phrase is accurate. So I redid it. Strategy and culture sit down for breakfast, make a plan, and then go to work. (laughs) So rather than one eating the other, they got to work together. They got to work together. Yep. They got to work together. Um, If you want to read a little bit about my ecosystem modeling thing, there there is a website called www.pixisculture.com. That's P-Y-X-I-S culture.com. And there's a lot of white papers and articles and blogs there that'll give you a feel for how it works. Okay. And that's P-Y-X-U-S, Pixis? P-Y-X-I-S. I-S, I-S. I-S is culture.com. Yep. Pixis. Okay. Pixis culture.com. Great. I will put that in the show notes. Good. Thanks. Fixesculture.com. And I'm going to put it in the show notes just because I want to use it. <laughs> I'm going to go there and find out more about it. John, thank you so much. We're coming to a close here. My guest today, John Childress, um, pick up his new book, Fly Fishing for Leadership. He is probably one of, in my, and this is my selfish estimation, but he, he knows more about culture. He knows more about leadership than just about anybody else on the planet today, and particularly as it applies to businesses, large systems, and small systems. I mean, there's not a distinction to be made in, in businesses in that regard, except scale. The exact but, same principles apply. Same principles apply. So, um, John, thank you again. I've loved reconnecting. And... Um, Let's not be strangers. Let's go fishing. Let's not wait for another 40 years, okay? 40, 43 <laughs> years. <laughs> okay. Folks, this is Blaine Bartlett. You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. You can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. And, uh, and there's programs and there's material and there's resources that are freely available there. So take advantage of it. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.